A lot's changed over the years since we started Deep Thrones. I got married and moved to the suburbs. Sheedy got Bruce and went from selling ships to selling tech. One of the few things that hasn't changed? Miller time. Miller time is the time when you and your friends can get together to just be sauce boys and enjoy the simple things in life, like talking about sucking toes or taking 10 minutes to talk through Westeros History Minute or cracking open some great-tasting crispy boys. <laughs> Saw that one coming, right? To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash online, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Don't forget to celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. Welcome to another episode of Deep Thrones Midweek Mayhem. Midweek Mayhem. I, of course, am your host, Sims. That's obligatory. GD is here. What's up? Hey, guys. I'm here as well. I'm the, I, Believe it or not, that's not a soundbite. That's me saying Midweek Mayhem. That uh, is. That's, I don't know if you guys have known why. that this entire time, but I just figured pull back the curtain, show you the Wizard of Oz there, show you who's behind that curtain. It's me. Uh, <laughs> we have a guest this week. Yeah, we have a very special guest, actually, uh very special guest who set up an ad read for us uh Allie Mason what's up Allie hello my friends this is quite possibly the best birthday gift I could have gotten in in being a guest on the pod so uh thank you for having me appreciate oh, yeah. you guys happy, happy birthday happy birthday wow I didn't know it was your <laughs> birthday you said on, <laughs> on Saturday yeah I mean oh, while nice. we were doing all the birthday shout outs here you go nice. yeah. another well, one birthday. <laughs> happy birthday also we got to give a shout out to Allie for just sending me and Chris just cases of beer scores of uh, scores of meat and yeah oh, that's yeah, super cool this, this has been she's she started out hot there's high expectations ellie so, i know I mean, also you guys got to make sure the sauce boys have some crispy boys going into the episode you, you know? gave us so much sauce honestly and, and to be on our podcast you don't need to give us gifts but to the guests going forward you know i mean let's that's kind of, you know, the bar has been set. <laughs> <laughs> the bar has been set. Uh, Chris had so, a quick question for you, Allie. Yeah, Allie, tell us about your throne slash House of the Dragon experience. Are you book reader, show watcher? What, what's going on on your end? All of the above. I overdose on Thrones content, honestly. I am a huge fantasy person, you know, grew up reading all of the the Lord of the Rings books. And as you guys know, I'm a big Disney fan and Star Wars and literally any sort of fantasy world, I I eat it up. And I started watching Game of Thrones, I believe it was around season three live, kind of binge to catch up um, and have have been following weekly since then. So huge fan of the show. Um, I did start listening to the books actually a big audiobook listener yeah. and the the um the audiobook reader is fantastic he does like all the different voices and sings the songs and and you feel like you're kind of transported to to the world of westeros do you, th- which do you is think amazing. he does the voices better like is his baelish better than my baelish you think debatable yeah. you know i i okay. think i think and he also calls him lord patire and some of the names that he says differently patire. calls brian brian and there's just what? some things that I'm like, that's yeah. not right. That's not that's right. No blame <laughs> on that front. Well, nothing, you know, not right. It's a fantasy world. And, no, and he's wrong. You can say he's wrong. <laughs> he's allowed to um, be but wrong. I, while being a loyal fan of, of the shows and of the books, uh, I'm in kind of a weird point with it where 
uh, during the Thrones watching, I started listening to the audiobooks and I got through so, uh, Storm of Swords. Oh my gosh, English. Um, I got through Storm of Swords. Storm of Swords. Chris oh my gosh, you, don't worry. English it's today. Yeah. Um, and then I'm revisiting the audiobooks now. And I was trying to get through all of them before starting to watch House of the Dragon, but forgot that all of them are like 37 hours long every time yeah, the books are a journey. you start a new book uh so we're we're back on the listing train back on uh storm swords currently and i so i didn't get to read um fire and blood yet or listen to fire and blood yet um but kind of similarly to kinsey looking forward to watching the show and then going back and seeing the retelling of of it and, and how they took their creative liberties and you know, knowing that it was kind of a not primary source coming from that book it'll be interesting to compare and contrast how how they brought that to life so i'm um, sure. super excited to be here chatting with you guys big fan of, of the show and have been of the pod for quite some time shout out to fiance and uh friend of the pod rob gallic who who uh oh, got me oh, into yes, listening yeah. to you guys of course he definitely but, gave us a, our um, first sponsorship like officially on the books he gave us twenty dollars once and by us i mean he gave chris twenty dollars i never saw a dime of it this has been a point of con- this is this has been a point of contention for us for some time uh but uh, really quickly, Allie, before we jump into all this that we got to cover from episode four, you watched episode four, obviously. What would you, I gave it an eight, Chris gave it a 675, or a 6.75. Uh, what would you rate that episode? You know, I am going to give it a seven, nine. I think we had a lot of really exciting things happening. Um, I Something that I had spoken with you guys about previously, that it seems like episode four in our seasons where we have 10 episodes in the season season for episode four turns out to be some sort of major plot device or something that really drives yeah. the story along. So obviously we got a lot of that in this episode. I thought it was really well ex- executed, um, but not necessarily my favorite episode of the entire series. I think we might have to go back and re-rank once we, we see the rest of the season, but I'm going to give sure. it a solid seven, nine. Yeah. I thought it was a great episode. I really liked it as well. Uh, I think seeing Rhaenyra have her awakening was huge. Um, and now we're going to get into some stuff that we've learned about this, this episode, uh, King of the Narrow Sea kind of after the fact, some of the stuff that we, we learned from some of the vignettes they do after the episode. One of which being that the crew actually like built the hull of a ship for that scene where Caraxes does his drive-by. Chris, you have any insight into that? Yeah, that was nuts. So, you know, they talked about, in contrast to Game of Thrones, they had just a, a what they called the ship, but it was a, basically like a room um, that was just maybe the floor of a ship, maybe a part of a ship, and they would film on that same thing repetitively. And for House of the Dragon, of course, with that budget, with that checkbook opened up, they actually built the like an entire ship. Um, the only thing that they were missing, I think, was the very front of it. And you're probably a your ship guy. The bow. You know what that's called. Yeah, the bow. Um, and then they set it in the uh, volume set, which, as we talked about before on a Midweek Mayhem episode, is where they have um, over 99 LED screens just surrounding the entire room. Wow. So again like it's like a buffalo I mean, wild wings honestly you could like you could pay one of us to be an actor 
That was a, a very a expensive buffalo that wild was a wing. Long, that was a long play <laughs> laugh. By, Chris tried to fight through it. He tried to rally. <laughs> yeah, but, but you can Chase put down. one of us in, in that volume set with them like playing things in the background, setting the scene, and we would be fine as Renera ducking down from a dragon flying by. You know, I think it's crazy. What are you talking about? I don't want to see you as Renera. Yeah, you do. Ew. Um, oh, God. That would ruin... I am honestly... I enjoy Rhaenyra. I think she's a very cool character. I think our last episode was really cool for her. Imagining you doing those scenes is not fun. You're... you're dude, look at you. You're ready to go. Thinking about me in that, in that dress. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's actually, move on. like, tilted the, the ship when uh, when Damon flew by on Caraxes. So Correct. they had stunt women, men and women come out and uh, actually, like... Tossed that ship to the side and they went flying. Yeah, wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, obviously, like you said, the props department, the the budget in general is the checkbook's open. Uh, there is really no. So I guess this time we'll get you know no like like what they did in Game of Thrones where inexplicably they're like, well, we couldn't afford to put Ghost in. Like what? You're part of HBO. You yeah. you you got the cash, right? I mean, we're gonna be seeing twenty dragons throughout the next couple seasons. We better you know they're sparing no expense, which is really cool. Um, and again, uh, Chris, you have been talking about this all the, since we watched the episode. What were these guys' names? Bracken and Blackwood. Fucking yeah. hyped about this, yes. dude. So, I, I mean, I we we went in detail on the West Coast History Minute, but when I went through and re- rewatched, like it, it moved again. Like this is this is Stop stuff it. that you read about even in even in the actual Song of Ice and Fire series that's covered in Game of Thrones. The Brackens and Blackwoods are talked about, but they're never shown in the series because you have so many moving parts. You already have like a crap ton of families and locations that you're right. seeing in the Thrones. So you don't really need to get that granular and include those guys. But um, I think who we saw in that scene was Benjakot Blackwood, who is one of the most badass characters in, I think, all of like the Westeros lore. Um, I mean, I don't want to give away spoilers, but keep an eye on him. And if you want to look don't, him up, on, don't you on, fucking uh, do it. If you want to look him up on a wiki of ice and fire, do so at your own will. But he is, uh, he's awesome. Don't look him up if you are afraid of spoilers, because it almost immediately spoils a bunch of stuff. No. Yes, yeah. Don't look at don't yeah. don't go to a wiki of ice and fire if you're afraid of spoilers. Right. To begin with. No, right. I I am the worst about things like that because I'm so curious in the history Me and the too. background that I haven't been able to touch yet in the books, and so every once in a while I'll be reading along and as episodes are going through, trying to figure out who's who and what's what, mm-hmm. and I've tried so hard to avoid spoiling myself for anything happening this Do season. It. So I know a few things here and there that'll potentially happen in terms of marriages and it's allegiances very, and such, but yeah. I have not spoiled how it all ends. It's I, a slippery I've, slope. I've tried very hard to not spoil it for myself by it, reading through wikis. It's a slippery slope. First, you you know, you think you're, it's cool because everyone else is looking at spoilers. You're just looking up spoilers with your friends in like a basement somewhere. And next thing you know, you're outside the 7-Eleven telling everyone spoilers. <laughs> so you got to be careful because it's a dangerous game. Uh, Chris, I have a question. This show has been very insular so far. We talked about this in the last episode, sort of like we're following the Targaryens, right? And that's it in King's Landing. Does it make you nervous at all just how much it has to open up in the next two seasons to include all these side characters that we know are coming? Because Game of Thrones had that expansion from the word go. Like the show vibe is going to change. 
And is that going to feel like you're almost watching two different shows? Like as soon as old Rhaenyra and old Alicent are here, and I'm saying old again, they're in like their late twenties, but when they're there, um, and then, you know, next season we get these Blackwoods and Brackens and when the Starks getting involved and all that stuff, it's going to get big. And it's like, it seems so small right now in comparison. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that makes me think a lot about season one of Game of Thrones, where the sets that we saw for the most part were Winterfell, The Wall, and King's Landing. And then you saw the King's Road for a little bit. Um, and I, I suppose you saw the Eyrie for a couple scenes as well. But, you know, I mean, so far we've seen Driftmark, we've seen King's Landing, we've seen Dragonstone, we've seen the Stepstones. So it's very it's very similar in the in the sense that you're following this kind of small granted game of thrones had more families but you start out small and then season two is where you start seeing more locations and i think they can follow that same kind of roadmap yeah but i i do think that they cannot they cannot shy away from the work that they did to kind of bring these sets to life and really you know the money that they put into it we we talked about that we love the grandiosity of everything if they shy away from that, then then I think it becomes a problem. Um, and also, you know, with with Miguel Sapochnik gone, that could also be a problem that that happens later with sets um, Big moving forward. Shit. So, I will say yeah. this: writer Ryan Condal seems to be a uh, a student of the of the books because of how oh, much yeah. deep Absolutely. stuff he's putting in there. Um, one of one of the things Absolutely. we wanted, to, yeah, and one of the things we wanted to talk about was the the uh, Rhaenyra and Damon combo in the in Valerian and the Godswood. Hey, quick show of hands, it, it's too small. Why do they always do that? Make it bigger writing on subtitles. Oh, I can't read that shit. Valerian. Allie, can you read it? I have subtitles on always because. I, I don't know. It just the makes Valerian, it easier though, to put, comprehend. Are we getting old that I need to have subtitles on when I need watching subtitles. TV across the board? I need glasses and I need Pepto when I watch this show. But <laughs> I'm is, telling you, just... they, the Valerian, when the, when Damon talks to Rhaenyra and Valerian, the writing is too small. It, it The one thing that bothers me too, well, it doesn't bother me because I love the authenticity of them speaking Valyrian, so I'm willing to sacrifice this, but it does take away from being able to look at the facial expressions exactly. and kind of acting nuances that, that you can see normally. The facial is one of yeah, the most important true. part. Yeah, that's true. And Matt Smith was talking about in, you know, the after the episode or the, the, um, the house that dragons built that yeah. it's really fun to get to act in a different language and to be able to grow and express that character in a different way in their native language. And so that's, that's yeah. a really good point that it makes it a little bit challenging to, to see what the character brings when they're speaking in their native tongue. So got to go back and rewatch yeah, again. Was... What do you think about the differences in accents, Allie, from what we saw with Danny in game of Thrones to being a little bit closer to, to the Valyrian homelands? Oh, I love it. I mean, even going back to episode three where Lainor is yelling Dracarys as he's blowing up everybody in the Stepstones and seeing how much more comfortable they are with the language because it is so much closer to when they came over from Valyria. I think it's it's so fascinating to see the differences there where it's like hearing a native speaker speaking the language as opposed to, and, and granted, I guess Danny is still considered a native speaker because she is of Valyrian descent, but it's like hearing a native speaker speak any language like Spanish and as opposed to someone yeah. who has learned through school or through, you know, it being... Um, learned in a more tradition, you know, traditional yeah. setting. You know what? I think too. Like, I, I, you definitely could tell that, like, 
Rhaenyra's Dracarys even sounded differently than from how Danny says it, right? Like, Danny's Dracarys was like Notre Dame Brian Kelly, and Rhaenyra's Dracarys <laughs> was like LSU Brian Kelly. A little bit of sauce <laughs> on there, a little twang in there. Family. A family. Uh, but Chris, oh, what about in, the, in that Rhaenyra and Damon conversation in the Godswood, we discussed the Weirwood tree. Uh, that's not really canon, though, right? Yeah, so actually, I when I went through and rewatched, it was bothering me. So I'm like, I I gotta I gotta find this out for sure because I kind of just it's got the face and everything. It's a weirwood. Yeah, and so Canon actually has so they do have a Godswood in at the Red Keep, and it was similar to what we were talking about before, where they want to represent all gods that are in the Seven Kingdoms. However, they didn't have an actual weirwood tree in the sense that it wasn't white. Um, in the Red Keeps Godwood, they had it, it's just a it's a it's an oak tree with red leaves, but they did have the face on it though, so um, just just a little bit different. But I'm glad I looked it up because I was kind of confused on the situation. Gotcha. That's it's interesting. interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's good. To, it's good that Westeros cares so deeply about representation. Uh, they're yeah, doing the Lord's work. We can all take a lesson from that. From, we can all take a lesson from medieval Westeros. Now let's talk <laughs> about Damon fucking his niece. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Flea Bottom. Uh, I loved the Flea Bottom scene. There was okay. So we're gonna talk about Flea Bottom being filmed in Spain. But I want to do a quick thing about Flea Bottom. Allie, you haven't read Fire and Blood, correct? I have not yet. No. Okay. In the flea bottom scene, in this episode, there is a premonition. There is some deep foreshadowing in that scene. I'm not going to go any further than that. Me and Chris sort of labored over this for a few days on how deep we wanted to get into this. We're not going to get into it deeply, but we just wanted it on the air so that we can spike the football in like three years or four years yes. when the show yeah. ends. Yeah. yeah, we don't want to. Yeah, we we want people to know that we know, but not know what we know. Oh, that's a great way of phrasing True. it. True. Yeah, that's a really great way of phrasing it. We want people to know that we know that they don't know, and we're getting off from that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but Ellie, what did you uh, think of the flea bottom scene? Did you find yeah, it as romantic yeah. as Chris did? Uh, uh, you know, I did. I was so excited to see Rhaenyra kind of coming into her own. Me and too. Even if it wasn't with the best of intentions from Damon, just everything about that was the scene and this undertaking was so exciting. And I have to disagree with former guest of the pod, Kinsey, and that Damon didn't do it for her. I, I don't know if it was because I had a crush on Legolas growing up from Lord of the Rings or what, but he totally does it for me. I, I get it. It's it's that energy that he is a chaos agent, and do I don't like know what that says hair? about me if I like that. Yeah. Do you like short hair, Damon, or long hair, Damon? I like the long hair, Damon. I do. He's coming I'm back. He's coming back. <laughs> yeah, long hair, Damon's coming back. And and but what about sneak in your room and leave like ratty clothes and a map, Damon? It felt exciting, and you know, as the episode started to unfold, I I turned to Rob as we were watching. I said. This feels so much like Aladdin when Jasmine leaves the palace to go explore and then runs into Aladdin and they have this adventure, but like in a very R-rated way. It's All like, right. I can show you the well, world I'm gonna, the next, like a whorehouse. You the know? next girl I'm interested in, I'm going to break into her house, leave some clothes behind in the map, and if she doesn't find it exciting, Allie, we're going to have a conversation about that. All right. Uh, Chris, well, tell if us. you tell her, I packed you a bag, we're going That's off it. on an adventure, you yeah. know, tease the excitement a little bit, yeah. just... 
you know. I'm just dragging her through like the worst areas. <laughs> Chris, tell us about tell us about Flea Bottom uh, in Spain specifically. It was filmed in Spain, and you got some intel on what that was kind of a difficult yeah. shoot. So it, we were actually talking about this in the production meeting. So I'll let Allie chime in a bit here because she was pretty excited about the setting. But the one thing that I thought was really cool was uh, they filmed the whole scene at night, which you know, filming for days a scene like that, that, uh, you know, has a lot of moving parts and camera work and stuff. The only lighting that you have is provided by the, the lights on set and the moon essentially. And then the fire that they had coming from the dragon's breath. So they had to get permission from the locals to completely shut down these areas that they were filming in. And so they, it was granted to them. But the one thing that they said that was cool for the locals was that they actually got to like participate in the scenes. Oh, like the so orgy a lot scene? Of the extras, <laughs> yeah, a, lot of, a lot of the extras were, um, you know, actually locals from that town in Spain. I, the, the name's slipping my mind, but. Um, but yeah, uh, it's Cáceres. There you go. She's got it. So yeah, wow. run, run, run with that, Allie. Cáceres, Spain. Beautiful. Yes. Nice to so I, I studied abroad in Spain, uh, and who knew that that was going to be relevant for talking about a, a fictional world in uh, many, many years later. But um, it was it was so cool to see this being filmed in a medieval town. So it's our well, granted, you know, Westeros is is a fantasy land, but it has that authenticity of a, a town in a medieval time and. Something that I thought was really interesting, especially in Spain, um, in those old medieval towns, there's a ton of Moorish influence from when they were invaded, um, you know, in medieval times and such. And, and something that I thought was really fascinating, tied in nicely to the story, was that the reason that the walls are so high in these towns, aside from protecting from invaders and such, is because of that islamic influence it, it, they made it so the walls were high and women back in the day could go from house to house and um you know give each other their sugar for their recipes or see their family tell stories etc without having to cover their hair their faces as was expected of women back then so i thought that kind of tied that historical tidbit kind of tied in nicely with rhaenyra escaping the castle with damon and they're trying to go about undetected and um, kind of seeing that parallel and knowing that history was, was something that was really interesting to me. I did, in that scene, Rhaenyra was just so happy. That was the cool part. Her eyes were lit up. She was really enjoying it. I mean, obviously the brothel scene, then things got a little bit more intense, but I think she really did enjoy just being part of the people for the day. Uh, Chris, you had a one little thing, bit more about... One thing before we move on that we didn't bring up in, in our review was when she... I thought it was really cool when she just reached for the food from that one street vendor thinking that like, cause she has vibes, right? She didn't know any better. She's just like, yeah, this is free food. And the, the guy's like, uh, no, you got to pay for that shit, man. <laughs> and she just took off. She's like, I'm out. Yeah. And Damon's like, I'll the catch Agrabah her. Don't vibes are, are on point for this episode. And Disney ties. <laughs> yeah. But with incest. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, which, honestly, Disney movies, if they were to add a little bit of that in, I think would could expand their audience. Um, Chris, what else do you, did you have about the Flea Bottom scenes? Um, so it actually made me think of, and I'm not sure if this one's still greenlit or not. I know some like got shifted around and got canceled, but the uh, upcoming Flea Bottom series. As far as we I know, checked, it's as far as we know, it's still in development. There's no official okay, word of that awesome. one being stopped so, yet. So there's a uh, Flea Bottom series that's expanding on, again, this Westeros, the Song of Ice and Fire world. And it's obviously based in Flea Bottom. So 
I'm not sure exactly what the storyline is. Um, you know, is it following young Davos Seaworth or something, or is it completely different? I, I, I haven't even really gotten too much information on it, but um, the show you I didn't mean, know I, you I, wanted, following I, <laughs> Davos around Fleet Bottom. I, I think it's, um, I think it's good that they're setting the basis. Like, I, I think they're going to continue to do this in House of the Dragon. Kind of like um, when they nodded to and mentioned Nymeria before. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to continue to kind of show these places where we can kind of start raising our interest in these different settings. And, um, you know, seeing that different side of Westerosi culture. I mean, we're used to seeing all these lords and ladies. Let's see what it's actually like, you know, living in the proverbial piss and shit of King's Landing. Yeah, Flea Bottom is the the low of the lows of King's Landing. It's probably the toughest part of the city. Economically, they have very little money there. Um, so you're right, that is an area. We're used to the lavish and the decadence and the uh, extravagance, so I'm excited to see the, the opposite of that. And also Rhaenyra and Damon slumming it, even just for a short while. Um, and we t- um, on, that, on my rewatch, I kind of... Uh thought about like oh they, why was it so nuts that night right but it, it made sense they were having a festival and they were celebrating damon coming back from winning the war so for sure for sure i agree um we didn't really come back to it in the episode but something that i think is worth mentioning too is that in this episode i don't think even when damon comes back he's standing we don't see Viserys sitting on the throne at all yeah it's because yeah. it's beating his ass dude it's going nate diaz on him it's uh he's he's dying from the throne right now i think and and um again one of these things i mean you said it before condal is kind of a student of the game and even these little things that we saw were missed consistently throughout season eight these details are what makes the difference between you know a possibly award-winning show that lasts multiple seasons and keeps the checkbook open versus a fan base turning completely on on your product yeah and you know what's funny, and Al, you could probably speak to this too, the fan base after season eight was so distraught and so like downtrodden. And also there were people who were like, Game of Thrones is going to sneak away from American pop culture and consciousness. And literally four episodes into House of the Dragon, memes are everywhere. Everybody relating it to the NFL, relating it to, it's everywhere. It's a cultural movement, and honestly, when this show, when they announced that it was coming back, there was just so much excitement around it. I mean, from a personal level, I, I was super excited about it, but I mean, we needed something to bring us all together and, and join us as a country, and, and just having the Game of Thrones that was this common, pervasive thing in culture that connected everyone, no matter you know what side of what you're on there was just so many people that love game of thrones and i think house of the dragon is is definitely doing that for us and having that kind of common denominator for for everyone to connect on so it's uh i'm glad that it's back i was so so angry at the end of of, uh, game of thrones we all were we have you know i was there with you guys watching the last episode and i think all of us collectively were just screaming the first time i met you ellie Legitimately, uh, I think it was the first time we maybe, met. Maybe in the person. red wine got to you. It was, uh, I think the first time that we actually met was the Sox tailgate that our pals do when you were oh, exclusively gotcha. drinking red wine and no. it was like 90 degrees out. It was, there's a whole story. We, we don't have time for this, but there's a whole story behind that. The red wine was forced there's upon me. It. it wasn't just me <laughs> seeking out red wine, but please, no, but, but uh, yeah. That being said, I, I 
was getting a little nervous, especially in the Stepstones episode. And we'll breeze over this quickly, but it just felt very fan service-y, very Captain America-y, very Avengers-y and how quickly it was resolved. And so I, I got a little bit nervous about, is that going to devolve into how things were in season seven and eight? But I feel like this episode really regrounded us in, you know, this is what Thrones is about. Agreed. And we've seen that with more scenes of, of the politicking. And that was really the thing that got everyone so hooked on this show from the beginning and of course the spectacle is great the the filming of flea bottom is great it's really the relationships and the character development and the growth though that we love so much about this show and i think this episode did such a great job of doing that and giving us things to talk about and and compare and there's always so much symbolism and and things that you can get out of the different scenes and different perspectives that i think is so so important and that this series has done very very well so far it's getting everyone talking no matter whether you thought you were going to see yourself cheering for incest ever. Like I never thought that I was going to have the TV show making me potentially yeah. excited about incest, I mean, but yeah. there you go. <laughs> uh, actually, you brought up the stepstones and speaking of the stepstones, Chris, I, I was thinking about this last episode. Viserys asks Damon, he's like, who holds the stepstones? And Viserys or Damon gives a sort of silly answer. Like, well, the tides it's like, that's not really an answer though. That's who holds that the, concerning? Who holds that's, the stepstones? Yeah. That's incredibly concerning. And without spoiling, that's going to come into play uh, later on. Or at least it does in Fire and Blood. They've been doing a good job of keeping keeping pretty close to the books. So I think, um, you know, that's definitely something not to just skip over on your rewatch. Yeah. Also, I didn't know if you put this in the script just to fuck with me, but it says Allison mentions she has few friends lately. Did you just want me to say that and then move on? Or do you have something you want to add yes. to that? No, I yeah, that's like she sucks. So okay, yeah. there's no proof of that. There's no, no evidence actually, of no, her actually, sucking. You kind of do feel bad for her. All joking aside, I um, you know I talk, talk about being Team Black, which of course is uh, Rhaenyra and that squad. Yeah, but it, it is like very lonely for Allison. They have a moment of friendship again. We talk about they kind of rekindled that relationship. They being Allison and Rhaenyra, and then I didn't realize until my rewatch probably because I was sitting down writing notes, but they cut to a scene either right after or shortly after where Allison's alone in her chamber is just drinking wine. And it was like very sad. And I was like, yeah, yeah. that kind of, and I want to say something too, in defense of Allison right now, regardless of what's about to come or what hindsight you have, Allison, as we know her now was also like a probably under 18 year old teenager who was forced to marry a way older man. She was forced to court the man by her father. She was doing what her father told because, and it wasn't like, oh, she's complicit with her father. This isn't 2022 America. This is medieval times where if your dad told you to do something and you're a young woman, you do it. Everything that's happened to her at this point has been done to her. And she is going along. By your favorite character, admittedly, right? By Otto? Yes. All Otto said was go hang out with him. He's feeling bad. Give him a shoulder to cry on. Anything that oh, happened after that okay. was Viserys's decision. How dare you blame Otto for being a gentleman and for offering both his friend and his daughter, who is probably still grieving the loss of her mother, just a, a, a nice, a simple conversation, all right? Yeah, go How hang out with this old man and Legos. Have fun. Oh, the old man is the king, all right, guys? I'm not going to hear this Otto slander. And Allison, right now, the slander is premature. I would say because she's done nothing wrong that hasn't been thrusted upon her by King Viserys. uh, And 
probably Damon somehow, but I'll figure that out. Give me a minute to sort yeah. of work that out in my head, and then I'll, I'll get back to Literally, you. Literally, as, as we saw in the episode, thrust upon. Yes, no, the, I mean, yeah, and she was, not in, <laughs> she was not into it. She was not into it. And there was like a rat above the bed. Is there symbolism about that? I feel like it's because uh, his yes. back is all pussy. Yes. What is it? Uh, <laughs> or should it not? Is it a spoiler? Well, B, Fuck we'll it, just move say on. B and, we'll say B and C. If you oh, know gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, all right. B Don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I thought that the juxtaposition between Allison and doing her duty and, you know, the sadness that she was feeling and having to do her duty compared to running her on this wild night out. I know you guys touched on that in the last episode, but something that I noticed on the rewatch was, you know, to your point, Allison was this young girl who was kind of doing her duty as her father willed her to. And Rhaenyra's out exploring herself, finding herself. And I realized that, you know, this is really Rhaenyra's first taste of intimacy from anyone that wasn't Allison. The two of them as young girls only had each other and that closeness and that female friendship that I think we've all talked about can potentially have been more, but that's because that was all that they knew growing up in the red keep. And so that's why it's really interesting to see how the rest of the night goes for Rhaenyra with Kristen Cole and, you know, having that little bit of a taste of intimacy, which for her equated to power and seeing how right away she jumps to wanting more of that power, I think is something that's really interesting is definitely going to yeah. be important later We're on. We're going to talk later about more about R- Rhaenyra really using her position of power to, 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 to snake Kristen Cole into that, into that boudoir. Um, <laughs> but Chris... Before we get to before we get to that about Rhaenyra, let's sort of the final big subject we wanted to talk about was Rhaenyra now actually was seated next to the hand of the king. She sort of has a spot on the small council, as does the Lannister. Yeah, so I actually again on my first watch through, I, I didn't realize this, and shame on me, I should have. But we talked about this, I believe it was either the review of episode three or last week's midweek mayhem. Yeah, but we were saying you, you know if Viserys wants her to or names her heir then actually give her some sort of responsibility. Let her show that she can lead. Let her show that she deserves a seat at the table. And it seems like whether it was just an aging factor or Viserys actually wisened up a little bit, um, she actually has some sort of say or at least a seat at the table at this point. Yeah, totally agree. And I like that Like um, they sort of, in this episode especially, like they continue to, I mean, they're really talking about even after she bangs Damon or doesn't bang him which she didn't and even though he didn't deny it um Viserys says he's like I'm not changing it because it'll just lead to so much division and I think that's cool because Rhaenyra is quickly becoming one of my favorite characters at least second favorite behind Otto Hightower I do I absolutely love Rhaenyra and while it's great to see that she's finally getting her place at the table and and that it seems like she's getting more responsibility. I thought the very last scene of the episode with Rhaenyra was so fascinating where Viserys had the maester brew her some of the moon tea or effectively the the plan B potion. Because to me, while Rhaenyra was denying that anything super sexual had happened between them, Viserys trusts Damon to be messy more than he trusts Rhaenyra that nothing happened. And so by giving her that potion and saying, you know, just to make sure there aren't any consequences, it's showing whether intentional or not, 
that he's kind of wishy-washy and Mm -hmm. that he might not fully trust in Rhaenyra and being capable of making her own choices or entrusting her to make her own choices, even though she has that seat at the table now. So I thought that was really interesting, especially coming out of the last episode where it seemed like he was so firm in his resolve with Rhaenyra is going to be my heir. But that little bit of symbolism was like, ah, but are you sure? (laughs) Well, that's too, I mean, with the Kristen Cole thing, obviously no one knows that happened except those two, but this is probably one of my all-time complaints with movies in general, with with sex scenes and House of the Dragon as well, with the Kristen Cole and Rhaenyra sex scene. Is we we really it doesn't tell you where he busted. <laughs> well, but before we before we get into the uh, physical locations of the proposed busted nuts <laughs> of bust, <laughs> uh, that, that that was a that was a great point, Ellie. And I oh, wonder, I thought you were about you know, to say me. I was like, no, thank you. Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> I will shut up. Uh, knowing Viserys's temperament and his wishy-washiness, I can't help but wonder if that was his decision to kind of give that insurance or if, you know, someone else may have had some sort of say in that, like a Ty- Tylen Lannister or a, you know, a, a Har- or not Harwin mm. Strong. Um, why do I always forget the old Viserys name? No, not Larris. Lionel. Lionel. There we oh, yeah. go. Oh, I got um, Strong's in, up in this noggin you know, for days. Just because I, I feel like that is a very insurance-type decision, and Viserys yeah. doesn't seem like the type of person to ever kind of calculate the damages if something were to happen. And That's you know really what's sad point. is he had someone on his council who was really good at that, and he actually, much like the potential pregnancy of Rhaenyra, terminated him. And I think that's a disgrace because Otto deserved better. And honestly, Otto would have had a plan. He would have had a plan B, a plan. He would have had a plan C and a plan D. But no, instead, we're going to drink Melos's anti-jizz potion and see what and just roll the dice. You know, Otto's you, we'll get into Otto later on this episode. I got some serve ups coming for Otto. Like okay, well that's but we're at like our last segment. We're at that we're now switching into camp at the camp. Well, first off, why would you have any insults for him? There was nothing <laughs> in this segment that war that said come up with insults for Otto. What we're doing, guys, this week, a little fun segment. We re it's well, mid, well, well hang on ahead. a second. We're actually we had a question because Ellie's background and um, oh that's right professional professional life is on the marketing slash promotion slash you know. Um, influencer type pr side so all sorts of marketing full full service omni channel as they say (laughs) (laughs) so our question from deep thrones pod to you ali is how would you use your influence from the crown's perspective being whether it's viserys rhaenyra uh, anyone in the small council how would you use your influence to promote rhaenyra as heir and eventual queen of westeros I think there's so many things that you could do to make her a more likable or more trustworthy character in the eyes of the people. And I think it's so fascinating. You know, Rhaenyra is kind of of the mindset of, you know, they don't need to love me to to be ruled by me and such. But I think to make her an effective ruler, she has to connect with the people. I mean, you think back to Marjorie Tyrell. Great and example. Granted, that was in times where there was a lot of heat on on the crown in terms of that people were not fed and people were not happy with with the the reigning um folks in i almost said in office uh, on the throne but 
Um, folks still love Marjorie forever, whatever reason that was. And so I think if they could get Rhaenyra out and going on tours and meeting with people and showing that she cares about the realm and cares about the people that she is going to be serving, I think that would go a long way rather than just being, oh, she's a woman who's up in this tower and the king says that she's the heir, so she's the heir. So I I think that you got to kind of drive that connection with people. That's with anything. You got to, you got to drive a personal connection, find a way to get them to like her. And that's how you break the status quo of people not wanting a female heir. You got to show them why she would be a great ruler. Cause we see it on screen, but small folk don't think have she's that. just a woman. Yeah. And yeah. And her saying like, well, they don't have to like it is very Daenerys Targaryen ask. It's a little short sighted. It's a little in the moment reaction to it. Um, and I think you're Absolutely. right. I think she could learn from the Marjorie Tyrell school of politicking, which is you got to get out, you got to shake hands, kiss some babies. And if Targaryen, and obviously what we learned from her uncle Damon is the age doesn't matter in the Targaryen family. They'll kiss anyone. That's true. I actually, yeah, that's, that's a great solution. I think she could learn a lot from, you know, getting out there, giving donations, showing up to, uh, you know, the, the great sept on Sundays or whenever they worship, like, just getting her face out there and again, letting her see that she can be a leader and that she's not just a, a, you know, a figure piece for this dragon family. Yeah. And I think there's a balance. She, you know, she doesn't want to be seen as a pushover either, especially in this time of prosperity, they still need a strong leader, especially coming out of this conflict and the stepstones, knowing that eventually there, there is a potential for war. Obviously that's, getting into spoilers and such but i think it she could show her power as well fly around on the dragon while still connecting with with her people yeah to show that she is a wise and empathetic leader but also has the power of house targaryen yeah no so for now i think right chris it's campaign time yeah okay which inexplicably you brought up Otto. doesn't matter um what we're doing is since the midterms are here in american politics we are going to pick a, we each picked our own character from House of the Dragon. Could be anyone we all wanted. Um, we didn't really discuss it, so hopefully there was no crossover. I think everyone knew who I was picking. Um, and we're going to make a little campaign for them, how they would run, kind of what their policy might be, kind of how they'd connect with the people. So, uh, Allie, we usually do guests first. So why don't you let it rip? Who would you want to see run for office here in these United States? So this is going to be a hot take, but... I'll run through my reasons why in that I think Sir Kristen Cole would be a great person that we could put wow. up here in the White House. Reason being, he's got that American dream story. You know, he kind of came from nothing and worked his way up to essentially the the highest seat in the land that you can have as a, a knight. Um, the bed in, of the in, princess. In, yeah. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess so, but more more so I'm at the King's Guard. But oh, right, right. yeah, no, absolutely. Um, he's good looking. That's super important in politics, True. whether people admit it or not, because people connect with them. And he has that proximity to power and that he's, as part of the King's Guard, he's around the leaders. He's kind of seen how politicking works and such, but hasn't 100% been involved in all of that so that people don't have a bad taste in their mouth about him. He's got that battle experience. So if we were to go into war, he'd be a great commander in chief. Um, And, you know, while he and his house might not have the money necessarily to 
support the campaign by having no enemies necessarily yet at this point in the show. Uh, you could very much get the backing that you need to to support support his claim to yeah. to the White House. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I think, too, him not being wealthy would be a, a promoting point. I think people might be like how people say they're old. They're tired of old candidates. I think hyper wealthy candidates as well. People might like the younger sort of grassroots guy. Uh, Chris, do you want to go next or do you want me to go next? Your call, buddy. Uh, I mean, you go first. You go first. Okay, well, I mine is simple, and it's because it's the only man who has the stones to do what is necessary to lead the United States of America, and that would be Otto Hightower. Um, Otto, I think, would run in the Green Party because he's very, you know, he, he understands the needs of all people, so he'd be running sort of as a third-party candidate uh, his like his campaign slogan would be like change you can slip in instead of change you can believe in because he's always slipping and sliding into rooms into corridors um, uh, we would run a campaign of full transparency because he's an honest man uh, anything he you know it's like what we saw last episode with Ranira he knew it might cost him his job but he also knew the truth was more important and I think that's really respectful of old Otto Hightower um uh, oh, and also, like, I would say as his campaign manager, because I assume he'd hire me to be his campaign manager, um, his campaign is lighting the way for America, of course, the words of House Hightower is, we light the way, and also, ironically enough, the name of next week's episode, so Otto may be fired, but I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. Um, uh, I think he would unite the country, because both Democrats and Republicans would hate him, and um I think he would be against unarranged marriage, so that would be difficult because he would want to arrange marriages and build build strong alliances for the United States. Um, oh, and also whenever he takes a meeting, he, he'd want it done in like a shady corridor so that he could just kind of slide in and then slide out. And uh, yeah, his, his campaign is very grassroots, but with a fair amount of propaganda. And, okay. and a, little, okay. a little sneakiness, but he's uh, who, who better than Otto? Well, I actually agree with you here, so I'm also going to take Otto Hightower. Wow, but, finally, you see the light. Wow. He, lights, he lights the way, man. I, am, uh, I see his campaign going a little bit differently than yours. Okay. What, what do we always hear about, right? We hear about uh, you know big corporations don't get taxed enough. And then the big corporations and the rich people say, well, we're carrying all the burden of tax. So then... You know, you also hear about um, universities charging too much. Well, let's tax the shit out of them, too. So I think Otto Hightower is going to run on the slogan, tax that ass. And he is going to tax, he's going to tax the shit out of everyone. No one's safe from his taxes. I love that, yeah. And and you know what? We're going to be the wealthiest country in the world. And no one's going to be able to beat our wealth. And, and, you know, maybe we'll tax, maybe we won't tax you, but we'll probably tax you. And we can tax you if we want. I love that. that that's... you're going full socialism here yeah you've gone full <laughs> i don't even know that socialism that is... that's like just <laughs> taking people's stuff i don't know we're, we're, we're increasing we're increasing foreign levies duties like everyone's getting taxed and that's that that's why everyone's gonna absolutely love Otto and recognize him yeah. for the true great human being that he is that loves everyone. a lot of sarcasm just, in your voice and it's 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 coming through that you might not like Otto as much as I do. I think Otto no. would be great as the president. No, dude. No. Who, oh my well, God. yeah, we Otto. We've enough self-serving presidents lately. Like, but Otto would be a good self. Like, he's just so. Come on, guys. Everyone in the show is self-serving. Kristen Cole's self-serving. Damon's self-serving. Viserys is self-serving. You guys, the show is just painting Otto as the bad guy. So you're all biting that apple. You gotta under. You gotta look 
between the lines. You got to look at the nuance. Otto's just, he. I think he cares about the realm more than anyone. Right. I, I disagree. <laughs> yeah, well, he cares. He cares about his family and getting as much power as possible, what? and getting his daughter to smang the king, and that's that's where, about it. Where are you getting that from? What are we watching <laughs> the, the same the show? Of the show. What are you talking about? Thus he, far, again, he did not tell his daughter to smang the king. He said, "Listen, he's probably lonely. Also, like your mother's closet's pretty full. Wear one of her dresses. We're trying to clean this thing out." <laughs> Just go in there and hang out with him. That's all he said. Poor Allison and her terrible nail beds. It's yeah. just it's just Ugh. sad to see what this man has done to her. Viserys? Well, now she's well, all sad. Uh, Allie, we would like to thank you for your perspectives, particularly on the uh, PR question, but also I thought you added Everything. a lot of value to the conversations as a whole. So thank you for joining us. Happy early birthday. Um, congrats on thank the engagement. You. Oh, thank you guys. I I'm so happy to have been a guest. This was an absolute blast. I, I love you guys. Love the pod. Uh love love House of the Dragon. Love me some crispy Miller lights too. So Don't we glad all. that we could uh celebrate over a couple crispy boys and talk through an awesome new season of, of our show. Same. Uh follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all that good stuff, Deep Thrones Pod. Chris, anything else? And if you subscribe, you don't even have to search our names. You'll just get a notification to your phone. It's just that easy. Uh, share and like and all that. Uh, I'm good. You good? I'm good. All right. Uh, Allison, hit me up. Let's get Daddy Otto elected. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>